A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, you're listening to me, Liz Earle. And a very warm welcome back to the second series of Wellness with Liz Earle, my well-being podcast. And in this series, I am very delighted to be back with some great guests to share my airwaves with here in the well-being studios. So many of you have actually written and commented saying how much you enjoy hearing from some of our leading foodies, the well-being gurus and opinion formers. So I've deliberately asked some of the leading lights here in these areas to come in and talk about their specialist subjects. And I'm delighted to be kicking off this first new episode with an award-winning farmer, someone who I've got to know quite well over the last few years, who's championed a whole new genre of farming and a campaigner who's not only helping to change the face of British farming, but who's also passionate about animal welfare, soil fertility and our overall health and well-being. I'm talking about Neil Darwin founder of the free-range dairy Pasture Promise label, which is an increasingly appearing label on our supermarket shelves. And honestly, you will find no bigger disruptor in the dairy industry right now as the free-range dairy offers a better quality milk, a better and more natural way of life for our cows, and a better, fairer deal for our British farming families too. So there's a lot of good things going on. Neil, welcome. Thank you, Liz. And I'd like to go right back to the beginning because you've been involved in dairy for pretty much all your life, haven't you? I have indeed. I actually hail from a farming family in Gloucestershire that uh, so started sort of toddling around the farm at the age of five years old and been sort of came out ever since, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and that's taken you all over the world. You were a Nuffield Scholar, which for people who listen to the Archers will know that that's a farming award. Quite, yeah. That was an incredible experience, which took me both to Australia and the USA to study dairy farming and mm. something that lives long in the memory and has shaped my think thinking, I think, ever yeah. since uh, that time. So you've got real kind of global knowledge. You're, you're obviously passionate about what's happening here in Britain but your experience is global. Yes it is and, and I think we have to accept that uh, we are uh, increasingly influenced by global patterns and trends and markets certainly in, in farming mm. and it's something we cannot ignore so to have that I've been very fortunate to have that very broad view of what's going mm. on in the world around us. Yeah. yeah. Now you and I first met when I really first started putting milk under the spotlight and I got together with a guy that we both know very well, Graham Harvey, mm -hmm. and he was leading a Pasture Promise TV channel. 
and we made a movie, excuse the pun, uh, which you can see actually up on lizellwellbeing.com if you fancy. And it was really highlighting the fact that cows are increasingly disappearing from our fields. They are being kept 24-7 in barns and sheds. They are not eating natural forage and grass. And for me, I suppose, as somebody who writes about well-being and wellness, my initial reaction to that was, well, what's happening to the quality of the milk? And we discovered through um, scientists that we spoke to, we went up to Newcastle, for example, to the research centre there, where they were analysing the lipids and the fats in milk, that the milk from grass-fed and forage-fed cows was so much healthier and better for us, better in terms of containing omega-3s, conjugated linoleic acid, which is good for our brains and helping to keep us slim. So, you know, for me, that was that was the driving force for me. I wanted to have healthier milk and find out where I could get it from. And, of course, it's not labelled, or at least it wasn't labelled. And that's when we met. Yes. Because your initiative really has been so much about better labelling, hasn't it? Uh, absolutely. It's all about giving consumers an informed choice. And I would echo all the things you just said about milk quality i always say that people not all milk is the same and that's for too long been the perception that it's just mm. this white stuff mm. and there's far more to milk than that and some great milk that is being lost to us at the moment and that's yeah. what we as free range dairy are trying to do under the pasture promise logo is identify that great milk that you've just described mm. so take us right back now because i know a lot of people listening will have no idea how milk is produced they will yeah. hopefully know it comes from cows or sheep and goats but you know we're talking about dairy milk here how how is a cow fed and reared? What's happening with the milk industry, particularly in the UK? Yeah, well, in the last 30 years or so that I've been involved, it's changed dramatically. I mean, we the countryside was once upon a time a sort of patchwork of small family farms with cows in fields at regular intervals every time you drove along the lanes. But we are now down to about nine and a half thousand dairy farmers left in the UK uh, and that's down by over 60% in the last 20 years. So a huge drop Gosh, in numbers. 60% yeah. over half yeah. lost in, in 20, 20 years. years alone. Yeah. That There's is staggering. Astonishing, astonishing stats around that. When you look at sort of the average farm gate price in 2016 was the same as it was in 1996, 20 years before. Gosh. Cow numbers had stayed fairly static, uh, but actually production had gone up over that period. So we'd lost a lot of farms. We've seen this concentration of the cows into fewer larger units and a, a complete change in the way that, that milk is produced and delivered and I think a lot of that has been driven by consolidation further up the supply chain so in in the processing those guys that pasteurize and bottle the milk we've seen the dominance of one or two big players now buying up small local dairies and logistics have become king. So it's all about collecting large volumes of milk from farms all over the place, some of whom perhaps graze their cows, some of whom don't, and putting it into a vast vat. And it yeah. comes out rendered uh, white water with, with no provenance, no, no story attached to it, and sometimes no taste. And that's mm. a great loss in the grand scheme of things. For the cows, this has meant basically, and for the farmers, uh, they have had to work increasingly hard to earn a living and to stay in business. So the game has all become about who can produce the most milk for the least possible cost. And that means cows being driven to produce higher yields, very often milk three times a day, oh producing yields now in excess of 10,000 litres a cow, sometimes 12, whereas typically going back again 20, 30 years ago, that was 5,000 litres a cow. So, so how are they doing that? How can you double the amount of milk or more that you get from the same cow? Well, there's a number of things that have facilitated that, I suppose. It's, it's 
breeding for one so it's genetics mm-hmm. we, we've we've imported genetics from from the us and canada and bred very sort of single purpose cows so cows that mm-hmm. have been literally programmed for nothing but milk yield uh, and, and and that's always been a concern of mine because that's possibly at times to the detriment of things like longevity and fertility. So the, the cows, cows. Are literally work so hard that they're dying much younger. And they are so programmed to, to producing big volumes of milk that they lose that capacity to almost look after themselves, safeguard themselves. So they tend to deplete their own body reserves. Uh, and, and find themselves very often in sort of what's called negative energy balance. So they struggle to consume enough energy to sustain themselves. Mm. And it leads to shorter lifespan. It leads to infertility. And also, of course, we've had this issue with some of those cows that sometimes ex- in extremes where the bull calves are very skinny and frail and they have no value. So we've had issues over bull calves being shot at birth. And fortunately, the industry, I think, is moving away from that and beginning to realise it's been a single route to nowhere. So we're seeing yeah. more robust cows being bred. Mm. But nonetheless, um, that now, uh, those genetics combined with increasing technology in terms of um, monitoring performance, but also in nutrition. So nutrition has become a, a kind of science, a fine art science, which is all done on a laptop these days. It's no longer about opening the gate and letting the cows in the fields in many instances. And in fact, many cows now are not allowed out at all. You well, know, when I was filming my film, um, the, my movie, I went to intensive uh, dairy Mm. farms and cows are kept indoors 24 7 365 days a year and you know you couldn't you couldn't say that they were mistreated because they were often you know sort of lying on almost comfy kind of waterbed type Mm -hmm. things but it was very unnatural and there was no access to outside there was no moving around there's no you know cows run I mean I've got cows on my farm I haven't got dairy cows but I have um, beef cows and they you see them when they go outside when they've been kept in a barn in the winter time or went during bad weather they go out and the frolicking literally the the, you know I know there are lots of films on YouTube of kind of when the cows go out and you see that natural energy yes Uh, and not to mention in fact which is something that um, might be interesting to touch on the environmental impact we need cows on our land don't we we need cows to fertilize fields and soil we need it for carbon capture we need it for you know creating a healthy soil the microbiome of the soil yeah yeah. And is that something... Very much so. And I think I, I just, first of all, go back and say that I totally agree with your sentiments about it and your experience of the seeing those cows go out. I always say that I would agree that some cows can be well cared for indoors, but it's like if you have small children or a dog, you, you could keep them indoors and you could feed them and you could take them to yeah. doctors when they needed it. But is it natural? And I always say that grazing is a fundamental expression of natural behaviour for a dairy cow. Yeah. And to deny them that just... One, I don't feel it's right, and B, it's actually not necessary. That's the thing. And and we have these cows turning wonderful green grass that our country grows in abundance that we as humans cannot digest, and they're turning it to some of the most nutritious food that we generate in this country. And and to to lose that would be a tragedy, really, Mm. I think. And absolutely, you know, going on off on a tangent slightly, but related, if we don't have cows on our fields, what do we end up with? Do we get end up with the concreting over of the countryside or acres of plastic polytunnels or building or, you know, what is it? It's quite well, I've land seen... management is really important for, yes. for food production overall, That's isn't right. it? Part and of the rotational farm. It is. And I've seen this where, you know, certainly in the US where, where big dairy has moved into what would have traditionally been fruit and arable growing areas because it's, it's got rich resources with which to feed a confined cow. It's got water mm. and all those things. And they've moved away in some instances from the pasture land. And, and there was a danger at one time, I felt that that was sort of starting to happen in this country. We're seeing the dairy farming, which traditionally has its heartlands in the West, moving
moving further east to take advantage of vast acres of arable crops to feed these confined cows acres oh to dispose of slurry and all those yeah. things and it's just not what nature intended no. and, and it makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever so when you've got a cow that's not outside eating grass they're eating crops that would be grown for human consumption or possibly imported yes yes and yeah. so you think of all the resources that go into that all the fossil fuels and the mm. you know using of land for for growing food to feed animals yes. when they could be out eating grass that humans Quite. can't eat and fertilizing the soil That's, i mean it's madness isn't it, it really it, it is you at, know, what, at, at what point does that make sense to somebody but we, other than economic suppose, which is the big one well and that's it and i think the thing to people need to understand is for farmers um it's very easy to point the finger at the farmers and say well why have you done this to your cows and to your farms but they have largely been driven by the demand for cheap milk. So, so in effect, volume has been the only game in town for farmers. Most, most farmers do not have the opportunity to add value to their product if they are not brave enough or confident enough or have the resources mm. to go and invest in a cheese plant or make product. Yes. And, and, and so, in effect, the game is all... I even met farmers back in the dairy crisis in 2015-16 who were saying to me, I've lost 10p a litre off my milk price in the last year. All I can do is produce more milk to try and put that money back mm. in the tank. But the problem was the, the crisis was entirely driven by oversupply. And so we're just kind of perpetuating a, a nasty so cycle. Too much supply was lowering the price. Yes. And of course, I mean, I live in the West Country on a farm. I'm surrounded or sadly, I have to say, used to be surrounded by family dairy farms, many, many of whom are now have been forced out of business. And the tragic moment happened for us about a year, 18 months ago when our direct neighbours drove their cattle down the lane for the very last time mm -hmm. and they're going mm -hmm. off to auction which was heartbreaking for them and and for the community and i remember going to see my neighbor a few months before and i knew that he was in in financial crisis and saying listen so many people want to support you we want to buy local milk and you know why don't you have a small processing unit you could bottle it we could look at you know you doing raw milk which i know is a whole other story and he just looked at me and he said, Liz, he said, you could do that. You understand about brands. I'm a farmer. Mm. I understand my cows mm. and I understand my land. Uh, it's too, it's too perilous for me. It's the unknown. And, you know, it's a real, it would be a real leap. And I think a lot of family farms feel like that, that they have been tied into these incredibly restrictive contracts. And I, you know, I did say, you know, can I chat to you about your contract? And he said, you know, I, I'm not allowed to show it to you. I can't get out of it. Um, I have to sign it. They won't buy anything. You know, I'll be excluded. It was, you know, real coercion going on by, by, as you said before, it's the intermediary processors. You know, the farmers are doing a great job in many cases. The supermarkets, love them or loathe them, they are retailers and they are providing, you know, what, what we need to go in and buy in many cases. And obviously there are lots of other farm box schemes and things as well. But it's these, these huge corporations in the middle, this massive chunk, isn't it? Yeah. And that's yeah. where the, the, the profit and the money and the squeeze is happening. Yes. So how do we then do what you're doing, I think, largely? Is, is it connecting the farmers to the retail? It, it's, it's very much about connection and collaboration, exactly the right word. So the way we're making inroads is we are fortunate to be finding small, independent, family-owned dairy businesses around the country, so who perhaps have 20 or up to 50 farmers that supply them and deliver milk locally. And, and they have been fantastic for, for a long time. One of the challenges for, for us was finding processors willing to segregate milk from free-range cows. If you go to a big processor, it's all about throughput. How many litres can they put through the stainless steel an hour? Mm. Logistics, as I said earlier. 
Whereas there are these fantastic small family dairy businesses with a very close working relationship with their farmers who generally are farmers following a much more traditional pasture-based system. Mm. And we've made inroads by collaborating. So we, we work very much with those guys. And we, what's really important for me, my, my drive in all of this is I, as probably sort of described a bit already, I've, I've rather become tired of the... Uh, treadmill that has been dairy farming it's running faster to stand still and the lack of value in milk at the farm gate so what i wanted to do was try and bring people's attention back to those cows in the fields to the fields to mm. the farmers and get them to understand that's where great milk is created uh, not in the processing not what somebody adds or takes out of it yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so we are finding these sort of routes to market now through small processes that are Farmers within sort of 15 miles of the dairy, generally marketing through local outlets and offering something completely different, which is which is actually not only carries a great story, but but actually has taste. You know, that there's different. Tastes, Do you know, all it's, this. it's really true. Um, I, you know, I've got members of my family who love Ayrshire milk and, you know, are very particular about it. I'm very vocal and I go to Waitrose because it's the only place that I've got near me that will provide me with Ayrshire milk. And I've done taste tests at home and it's really interesting. It's a bit like a wine tasting, you know, it's yeah. like, where is this milk come from? And it's the different breed of the cattle. Yeah. And presumably the Ayrshire is more expensive because it has a lower yield. Yes. So you're getting less mm -hmm. per cow. Yes. And the cows are all grazed on grass and they're all you yeah. know, outside. Yeah. So tell me the definition here. What's the difference between free range dairy milk that we're talking about and organic milk? Okay, currently only around about 4% of the milk produced in the UK is actually certified as organic. The rest, the other 96%, gets lumped into this huge pot that's just called standard or conventional milk. So I set up Free Range Dairy in an attempt to identify, give some identity to this wonderful milk coming from traditional family farms mm. that are not certified organic, but nonetheless farm in a fairly low input manner, mm. cows out on grass for most of the year. And so we have a set of standards that sit behind the Pasture Promise logo that makes the, the farmers have to commit to grazing the cows for at least 180 days and nights a year. So we mm. have a very clear standard based around freedom for cows. Um, organic milk has or organic standards have a requirement for cows to be out in grass for most of the year but there is no stipulated minimum um, so there's a fairly clear assurance in organic about cows being grazed but we are not here uh, i didn't set up free range day to compete with organic milk i no. i, I, I get, created it to create an opportunity for other farmers who were who being are producing good quality milk yes. from cows outside eating grass doing it naturally yes. and you know some people say well cows need to be inside and actually in certain parts of the country and at certain times of the year yes, yes. they do need shelter and they do Absolutely. need to come in but actually there's an awful lot of the year when cows want to be outside they need to be outside and it benefits us and the environment yes. for them to be outside yes. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAS10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So is this increasing? Are you finding that your new label, Free Range Dairy, in much the same way as we saw with battery-caged hens and people understand the concept of free-range eggs... Is this becoming widely embraced now, free-range dairy? It's certainly growing. I mean, we've been established. We're a community interest company now. So we established that three years ago, almost to the day. And so we have been part campaign, but it's all been about trying to deliver the goods at the end. To make a difference, we have to bring that milk to the market. Mm. And as I said earlier, you know, getting processes to segregate milk from dedicated free-range herds has been challenging. We find those wonderful family dairy businesses around the country willing to do it. And now, thanks to the publicity we've had through yourselves and others, it, we, we, our, our cause is gaining momentum. We've had pickup from a few major retailers You're now. You're in Asda. Asda, yeah, Fantastic. in over 300 stores now. Yeah, and, amazing. Uh, yeah, and regionally in others as well. Like Co-op is... Yeah. Co-op. Co-op do a lot locally to support They're local great. farmers, don't they? Absolutely, really great, great fantastic job. So we're in uh, over forty mid counties co-op stores. Booths in the northwest have just started selling mm-hmm. a free range milk from up there, mm-hmm. and also Morrison's with a local food makers scheme are offering opportunities to some of our members now to market great. milk. And so all this pasture farms logo is being found in more and more places and we also mm. have um, a great following in certain areas from baristas and the coffee guys who who, oh, really? who see a, a a fantastic product that works for them but be a great story that fits when they're talking yeah. about fair trade coffee beans and knowing sure. their grower you know they want to get closer to their milk so supplier where's, as well. where's, where's the dairy yeah cow? yeah so that all sounds very positive and very good news and we could be forgiven for listening to this thinking oh well, that's good i'm just going to go and look for that but there is a downside too isn't there in what's happening generally in the industry it's not all rosy is it no it's not the industry is still under a great deal of pressure or the farmers uh, are mm. still under a great deal of pressure we've seen milk prices recover in the last six months um in 2015, we saw milk prices drop from some typically 32 pence a litre to some instances 20 or even 18 pence a litre. So Gosh. if you think that a small average dairy farm will produce a million litres of milk a year, that's 10,000. Every penny off that milk price is 10,000 pounds off their bottom line. Mm. And we dropped and we've recovered to some extent. Uh, but there is already sort of talk of oversupply and things go. And it's mm. horrible, this roller coaster ride that farmers are on. Yeah. And still... The market is still not giving enough um, acknowledgement, if you like, to the value the farmer contributes. So we've still got this thing going on where there is still quite a widely held perception amongst the public that all cows live in fields, don't they? And, and, I, and I think a number of processors and retailers are still trading off that. Uh, oh, completely. I mean, I, I sent a tweet to a supermarket who'd better remain nameless recently because I picked up a carton of their milk and it had an image of a black and white Frisian cow with a tuft of grass poking out of its mouth. Now, I know for a fact that that milk in that carton has not come from a cow that's been out in a field eating grass. So why are they misleading me with the label? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be clear labelling is absolutely, yep. absolutely key. And this is why we want, you know, my ambition is to get the Pasture Promise logo and our, and our standards recognised as a, mm. a clear standard. We are here. We don't buy or sell milk as an organisation. We're a not-for-profit organisation that works to try and make a difference for cows and farmers. And I, and it's all about 
empowering people to be able to make that informed choice yeah. and right now they're being so much too widely misled we've met i've met all the major retailers some that i've just described have been great others have actually turned us away because they are concerned about the questions that having a free range offer will raise about their standard it's, milk source yeah but you know they've had that with fair trade you know it's the same thing people say well if i have fair trade coffee well, then everybody assume that all the rest of the coffee on the shelves is you know, unfairly traded. Mm. But actually, we do see that you get that kind of halo effect. Yes. That if you've got one or two fair trade or premium or organic products, actually, it just makes the retailer look better in the customer's mm. eyes, I think, because they say, hey, great, they care about that. They're offering me that choice. Yes. And then we can choose. And I think what I'd like to say is when talking about money and finances, and I have been sitting around tables with dairy farmers talking about contracts, it's the only industry um, or occupation in the whole world, I think, that I've come across where farmers are being forced to sell something for less than they produce it. So, you know, I've had dairy farmers say to me, well, you know, I have to pay. It costs me 2p a litre to sell my milk to the processor. Mm -hmm. I said, well, how, how can you survive on that? And they say, well, we can't. That's why we're going out of business. That's why we're selling our herds. That's why the dairymen and the agricultural workers are losing their jobs. And that's why, you know, they're having to be on state benefits, which we are funding as taxpayers because they are living on the poverty line because they've been pushed into that by processors not paying a fair price. And we as taxpayers are funding mm. that middle layer of, of profitable companies um, because we are supporting the dairy farmers who want to be self-sufficient. They want to be paid a fair, a fair price for a fair day's work and for what they're producing. And all these other environmental, you know, countryside stewardship and all these other benefits that, mm. they, that they bring us. So and I know that you spent some time abroad investigating the so-called mega dairies and you've had experience of that in the UK. Can you kind of enlighten us on, on that? Yeah, I, I must admit in 1997, as long ago as that, I was running a quite a large farming business in the southwest of England uh, with a lot of dairy cows. And I, I actually undertook my Nuffield to to go and try and understand how That's dairy farms... Sorry, program. yes, a scholarship, mm -hmm. wonderful program that I did. Uh, I was very fortunate to be awarded. And I went to try and look at how dairy farms actually did could achieve economies of scale because it was very easy to perceive in other industries and certain sectors of agriculture like arable farming where a chap buys a huge machine and can cover thousands of acres couldn't see quite how we would apply that to dairy farming and I went and I saw this uh, American model if you like running thousands of cows milk three times a day house 24 7 and I thought well there's the answer we we, we turn milk production into an industrial regime mm -hmm. and, and everything's yep, controlled and managed and, and <laughs> consistent and yeah and and I and I came back to to Somerset and and was almost at one point felt this is what we needed to do and uh, with the business I was running but then I began to sort of think about what were the great natural things we already had at our disposal and uh, that grass that freedom and also I think having worked in an industry that had been so production driven i've always wanted to sort of shift focus to a market driven industry and uh, mm. and i think that the mega dairy model is abhorrent to most public i mean i've taken part in television programs where there's been a, a kind of flip side where they've shown a thousand cows or more in a, in a shared house all year round and people are ringing me up saying i didn't even know this kind of no. farming existed in the uk no. well you won't see a picture on? of that on the label no you won't sure. you won't and, and i think where some have challenged me and sort of said it's very divisive of you to go and start labeling milk as free range you're casting aspersions on other farmers i always say well 
you should have the confidence if you want to label your milk as house 365 do yeah. it you know yeah. and, and if you can't do that you really have to question you know what, yeah. what it is Why? you're doing yeah yeah Why? that's right and you were part of a campaign that actually stopped omega dairy is that right yeah well i i've i've always felt that communication is key in trying to change things and drive things forward so i was quite closely engaged with both um, world society for protection of animals as they were then and compassionate world farming who were very much against the development of mega dairies in the uk and back in 2010 there was a proposal to put an 8,000 cow unit in lincolnshire in a small village and understandably wow. caused uproar locally and actually made national press and i as a farmer was probably the one person that stood and said actually do you know what i publicly said anyway that this is not a good idea um and, and it's not about entirely because i was concerned about cows being treated cruelly because as we've already talked about cows could perhaps be well cared for in a shed but it was that again for me it was that further distancing farming from the consumer it becomes mm. some sort of industrial unit somewhere out in east anglia that's supplying milk to inner cities and further removing people from from the farming and the source of production and only serving to further devalue our farming but also i think what's got lost in in, in these sort of arguments and debates in the industry is small traditional dairy farms that we're seeing go out of business every day of the week at the moment are branded by the industry very often as tired, inefficient, outdated. So we see these big farms being paid volume bonuses. So the more milk they produce, they actually get a milk price volume because it's much easier to send a tanker there and fill it up and all yes. those things. Yeah. And these guys are being sidelined and yet they, they produce some of the best milk in the country. Yeah, better quality, the nutritional, the taste. Yeah. All, all and the, the care of the countryside and all these other external and we are i'm afraid that you know we do uh, i i would say as a farmer that uh, a lot of a lot of us are influenced by those around us so we have an awful lot of people in the in the peripheral industry wanting to sell feed and technology and drugs and equipment right. and consultancy yes. that that are, are very much trying to sell almost a blueprint for high output dairy right uh where Make because more, if, more, more. if you go to a mm. husband and wife with 100 black and white cows on a fairly simple system what are you going to sell them you know and but I those nothing because no, they don't need to buy anything this is it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. yet those guys have done a fantastic job and continue to and, and i think they just deserve Mm. that recognition for what they deliver and that's what's missing at the mm. moment in milk and that's exactly mm. what free range dairy is attempting to put back i want to talk to you about compassion and world farming and about animal welfare i know that's a very hot topic for a lot of people when i was filming um the the movie that i made with pasture promise i spoke to a local vet and i said can you point me in the direction of a really good local grass-fed dairy herd uh, because he was a cattle vet um, and he said, oh, he said, I don't actually get called out to any of those. So I <laughs> yeah. don't know any. Yes. So, you know, that was just it was just you know, an answer mm. in itself in that mm. these animals, you know, are they using fewer antibiotics? Are they better? You know, are they healthier? What, what, how is it for the animal? The argument in the, in the industry is always that uh, it's not about the system. It's about management. That's what influences the kind of health and welfare of the cows and the success of the business. But I would always argue that if you build an inherently high cost system, i.e. one in which the cows, the food has to be put in front of them every day, bedding has to be provided, manure has to be removed, you are building in costs which you have to recoup from that system. And you are going to ask more of the cows to deliver that back. Mm. Whereas a cow that goes out into the field every day 
eats the grass beneath her feet that she sleeps on, yes. deposits her own manure to fertilise the land. Yeah, which is spread naturally across the land. Quite. Yeah. And so you have yeah. less, you have to demand less of that cow and thereby you are not putting the same pressure There's on no her to deliver. It's a healthier, no, a that's healthier right. and it's, it's mm. So it's, it's wrong in my mind to say that systems do not influence the health and welfare of cows. They do. I mean, I've been to uh, to to the US, as I've already said, and seen some big herds there where there are some... We, Farmers have got themselves in a very queer place in that uh, I met a cattle vet out there who ran four and a half thousand cows who actually told me his cows would die if they went outside. What? And I thought, what on earth have Is you that done? For to... real? Yeah. And, 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 I, and I thought, what have you done to breed an animal that can no longer survive in its natural environment? And to my mind, He was that's... serious about that. Yeah. He was serious he they that would they'd not been survive. so bred that they, they couldn't yeah, live outside. Yeah, they would not survive. He, he actually said to me they will die if I turn them outside. And what he meant was, you know, they will not... They will not consume enough energy from the grass around them to sustain themselves and all mm. those things. And, and I think that's where, again, as farmers, we have to question the ethics of breeding an animal that can no longer survive in its natural environment. There's something very, very wrong about that mm. in my mind. And, and I often hear cows referred to, these high-performing cows, as athletes. And well, what on earth have we done? They're cows. That's what they yeah, are, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> producing great food for, mm. for the nation. And do we produce enough milk? You know, you talk about there being gluts of milk. Uh, you know, is there a question of, well, we're going to run out, so therefore we need these mega dairies and these high-performing cows? No, we, we are not going to run out. Um, the, the, the only threat is this lack of value in the product that's it we right. we have farmers willing and able mm. um but it's really important we look after them and their cows and and we have all the resources we need to mm. to generate a healthy dairy industry going forward i mean one of the great things for me is that we are working with some young farmers now who are for instance putting in vending machines at the end of their farm drive mm. and selling milk direct from the farm gates so they've they've moved away from that production oriented orientated thing and they're offering local people this wonderful milk so they've they've milked the cow this morning pasteurized the milk it's in the vending machine five so hours fantastic later. and Incredible. actually yes there is they're having smaller numbers of cows yes but and they've got to invest in the machinery to do that but the, they are getting all the margin they are so they yeah. are getting the yeah. total retail yeah. price the value of that milk so they're selling milk at a pound a litre at the farm gate as opposed to 25p to a, to a big dairy yeah. and you're absolutely right i meet these guys who are saying to me do you know what I'm going to actually cut my cow numbers next mm. year. They're not on the treadmill anymore. Yeah. They're bad. And I'm not pretending it's easy. You know, marketing anything and selling mm. anything for a decent price is hard work. But they've they've taken that initiative. And it's wonderful to see them getting off of that production treadmill and actually starting to look at the customer and the yeah. market and the quality of their product. And, and as soon as they get that feedback, you know, I'm, yeah. they, I'm there sometimes. And families turn up with their children, each clasping a glass bottle and saying, the yeah. kids won't drink anything else no. now, you know and, and it's no. marvellous they've suddenly no. realised that thing that I started by saying is not all milk is the same no. and that's the really important thing absolutely fantastic well that is such a brilliant brilliant message for us all to take away so we need to be looking out for your label is it just on milk or are you going into che it's, cheese it's and yogurt and things it's on butter and cheese in small areas locally um, we are we are looking to extend it to other products um, for, for us the ambition is to extend the opportunity for more farmers. So, so we are here for the farmers. The farmers are members of our organisation. Um, so we are working with the dairies. I've described family dairies. We're working with individuals who are marketing direct. Mm. And we look at every opportunity, really. And, uh, and um, I'm no marketeer, but, but we've created a, an understanding in the marketplace in some areas and a demand. And it'll be great to see more farmers be able to enjoy that opportunity. Really. Yeah.
Neil, thank you very much indeed for joining us and a lot to take in today. As usual, we will be putting out podcast notes, so they will be on lizardwellbeing.com. Neil, such a pleasure. Thank you very much, Liz. Thank you, thank you. I, for one, of course, shall continue to ask every single supermarket, corner shop and deli I pop into if they can stock the pasture fed free-range dairy say it again <laughs> free-range dairy pasture promise logo is free-range dairy pasture promise logo that's mm -hmm. the one to look out for and we certainly shall be doing that and that is about it for today so thank you very much for tuning in and for joining us i look forward to having the pleasure of your company next time when i'm joined by dr louise newson yes we are going from milk to the menopause and believe me there is nothing this medic doesn't know about ways to help us navigate our way through this tricky hormonal time so do join me then for just the best chat on ways to help us through our midlife hormones don't forget you can subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode of this wellness podcast and do please leave me a review and a star rating if you fancy every little helps as that supermarket says probably shouldn't talk about that now should we and don't forget you can head over to lizellwellbeing.com for the podcast notes and all the links to the resources we talked about today and you'll also be able to sign up there for the free weekly newsletter which will bring you fresh well-being ideas including new recipes lots of dairy no doubt and you'll also find a series of demonstration video clips and more from many of my books including the good gut guide which i filmed right here at my well-being studios these are all completely free to view you simply head to lizellwellbeing.com and search watch liz or head over to youtube and subscribe to the lizell wellbeing productions channel and if you search movie that's m-o-o dash v-i-e sorry about that you'll find that film i made about grass-fed milk too there is so much good stuff going on so do also follow us on facebook Lizard Wellbeing Magazine. We'll find us there. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, and you'll find me personally there at Lizard Me. So until next time, thank you for tuning in and go well. Bye bye. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.